Hello and welcome to In All of Us Command. I'm Aaron. And I'm Kate. And we will be learning about national anthems. Every week we will choose a new country at random. We'll learn a little bit about that country and then we will listen to their anthem. After listening, we are going to rank the anthem based on several criteria and see how they all stack up in our humble opinion. So today we are going to be looking at Slovenia. Uh, what do you know about Slovenia, Kate? I will be honest, I know absolutely nothing. If this podcast is doing one thing, it is exposing the depths of my ignorance. Me too. And I'm a little bit embarrassed. You know, you go around thinking you're a well-educated person and then suddenly you yeah. aren't. And I mean, in the history of Slovenia, things are going to happen that I knew at least some things about and I'm sure you do as well mm -hmm. but I couldn't have told you either that Slovenia was involved or how Slovenia was involved I think that's really the big thing when we talk about history is really like the interlocking pieces I find this stuff t tends to get kind of isolated from each other exactly so and I think it's going to be really useful for us to get that holistic yeah. view of everything I agree and it was especially difficult for me researching this week because two weeks ago I did Samoa mm -hmm. and Samoa being an island nation it's very clear where Samoa is mm -hmm. there's I mean they split the the group of islands in two but you know that group of islands is not up for debate it sure. exists yeah um the borders of slovenia as a nation have changed so we're we're talking about the history of a region and many peoples that have moved through it over the millennia of history well i'm looking forward to learning some stuff let's yeah. get into it so slovenia is located in central europe um it is bordered by italy to the west austria to the north Hungary to the northeast, Croatia to the southeast, and the Adriatic Sea to the southwest. So, it has been populated since the Paleolithic era, about 250,000 BCE, in one way or another. Uh, the earliest sort of evidence of people we have there is a pierced bare bone. It goes back, I was reading about it, it doesn't go back to like a date BCE, it, they've yeah. recorded the date for this bare bone in some notation I don't quite understand <laughs> that's, like, outside of recorded history. Okay. And basically there's a hole in this bone, and some historians have theorized that it was a flute, which would make it the world's oldest known musical instrument. That's How cool. It is cool. Not everybody agrees that that okay. is the most likely purpose Fair of this enough. object. I guess you can't just put a hole in a bone and say... Here but it's, it's cool to think about. It is cool to think about, and I hope that's what's true. <laughs> Me too. Uh, so marsh dwellers first started settling in the, the area that would become Slovenia, south of Ljubljana, which is a city, it is the capital city and the largest city in Slovenia, and I apologize in advance for how much trouble I am going to have pronouncing it. I've practiced and everything. Uh, but they, they first settled sort of south of where modern Ljubljana is today, and they started trading up the Amber Road. Now, that's similar to the Silk Road. It's kind of a, a circuit where they would trade amber from 
the the Baltic Sea up through Northern Europe. Okay, and remind me again, amber is the tree sap, right? That's right. Yeah, yeah. with the bugs in it sometimes. Yeah. Gotcha. So a lot of tribes sort of fought for control of this region from the Bronze Age onward, but the Celts uh, from France and Germany took control in about 400 BCE, and they established a kingdom there called Noricum, and that encompassed a lot of modern-day Austria and Slovenia. Uh, Rome annexed Noricum in 16 BCE and would eventually take the rest of modern-day Slovenia as well. Uh, Ljubljana was first settled and built under Roman rule. Mm. Uh, so Attila the Hun ended up actually invading Rome through Slovenia. Oh, that's neat. Yeah, that was the route he took to go in, and he totally terrorized the lands behind him, left them weakened to... Waves of invasions of Ostrogoths and Lombards, and they basically held the country intermittently until the first Slavic people started arriving in the 5th and 6th centuries. Okay. Um, Now, the Slavs settled in the region, and they formed an alliance with nearby Frankish tribes to form the Duchy of Carantania. Um, And Carantania is an interesting example for me because what I saw when I was trying to research national symbols for the fun facts section is I found that a lot of the old heraldry and etc from the Duchy of Carantania era has for whatever reason become a icon for like fascists in Slovenia, modern fascists in Slovenia, white nationalists. Okay. Um, So that's just an interesting little tidbit about the Duchy of Carantania. Um, But by the year 748, uh, it was absorbed into Charlemagne's Frankish Empire. Okay. And Charlemagne, as soon as they absorbed Slovenia, he was working to convert the region to Catholicism. Mm. Now, Slovenian nobles were removed under Frankish rule and replaced by more loyal German nobles. Oh. When the Frankish Empire ended up dissolving, that basically left Slovenia alone and under German rule. That's a tough position. It is. So a bunch of families sort of vied for dominance over the region Mm. until the... Uh, Habsburgs started to take control and the Habsburgs took control of the region gradually from sort of the 13th century to the 16th century. And a lot of Slovenia's, basically all of Slovenia's castles from this era, like all of their castles that still exist are going to have been built in this era of German and Habsburg rule. Did you see any pictures of the castles? I didn't actually, oh, okay. but we should look some up after. We'll, I was going to ask. We'll attach if they were some cool, on the blog post. But I'm sure they're cool. <laughs> uh, so, under the Habsburgs, the Slavic peoples were basically treated as serfs, but they still had to organize their own defense from nearby Ottoman tribes that would raid them. This led to essentially half a millennia of sustained peasant revolts from the 14th century to the 19th century. There were over a hundred peasant revolts under Habsburg rule. Good for them. Yeah. Oh, if I learned anything, anything doing this research, it is not to fuck with like the Slovenian 
middle and lower classes, they they will not take it. Good to know. <laughs> In case you were ever <laughs> planning on it. You know, I wasn't, but it's helpful to know going forward anyways. So during this time, there was a, a big political awakening in Slovenia. A lot of people starting to develop a national identity. There was the first literature written in the Slovene language. Um, under the Protestant Reformation in the 16th century, this got going even more. Like They, they were really starting to develop their own identity as a region and things got a little bit better under Habsburg rule briefly in the 18th century there was an empress named Maria Theresa and her son Joseph II and they worked to make things a bit better for Slovenia they built roads they built schools they abolished serfdom they expanded religious freedoms but eventually the French Revolution started happening and they were like, oh shit, we gotta stop doing that. We can't <laughs> let these people start thinking that way. Um, and that basically stopped these reforms until Napoleon's conquests. And Napoleon ended up splitting the Habsburg Empire in two in 1809. And Slovenia ended up on that eastern half of the split okay. in what Napoleon would call the Illyrian provinces okay. and Ljubljana was actually the capital of the Illyrian provinces. Okay. Um now under French rule Napoleon encouraged actually the use of Slovenian as the national language and that's when they got the first published guide to the language and grammar of Slovenian. Is Slovenian still in use? Yes. Today? Yeah. Nice. Um the Illyrian provinces actually only lasted five years ah. until the Habsburgs regained control of the area in 1814. Those Habsburgs. Now, something I was learning about, and I'd heard of part of this, but I didn't realize how big of a deal this was. 1848 is going to be a year we are going to come back to again and again and again. Okay. Because what I was familiar with is basically the second French Revolution. The February Revolution happens in 1848. But that, in turn, inspires a massive wave of revolutions all across Europe. Oh, no one ever told me that? Right? Isn't that dumb? Like, we talked about the French Revolution when I was in school for, like, five minutes, maybe. And they never mentioned... We'd, the February Revolution addressed. is a whole separate... Thing too, yeah. This was not addressed. Yeah. Carry on. <laughs> so during 1848, this push for a national identity and an independent nation became stronger. And Slovenes came together to write their first national political program, and that was called the Zedinjeva Slovenia, which translates to United Slovenia. Uh, it didn't call for the nation to be removed from the Habsburg Empire, but it called for an autonomous zone to be created under the Habsburg banner of all the historically Slovene lands mm. that would have a university built for them and a it would have Slovene used as the official language in local government buildings. Which, I mean, I'm not like an overlord, but that sounds to me like an extraordinarily reasonable request. Yeah, that's a like a good deal. Yeah. If it's a good way to get what you want to n not ask for I mean not that they're not asking for that much, but but they're they've asking, left out the big part. It feels like a win win. It is. Yeah. It is. Um the Habsburgs said no. See 
That's uh, dumb, it I is feel. Dumb. It is dumb. And some version of these demands would basically stay on the table on the Slovenian end of things for the next 70 years Ugh. until the end of World War One. Um, now, during World War One, there were plans drawn up for a new idea, a coalition of all of the southern Slav states under the Habsburg banner. At the end of World War One, though, the Habsburg, like Austria-Hungary empire was broken up. Yeah. So they instead founded the Kingdom of Serbs, Croats, and Slovenes, which you may know as what they renamed it to in 1929, Yugoslavia. Oh, yeah. There you go. I know what that is. Now we're getting into familiar territory. <laughs> yeah. So a lot of actually the historical territory that was recognized as Slovenia was left out of the borders of uh I guess, future Yugoslavia at this point, but we are just going to refer to it as Yugoslavia to make everything simpler. And Serbia ended up with the bulk of the power in Yugoslavia. Okay. Uh, they were invaded by Germany in 1941, and Slovenia's territories ended up being split between Germany, Italy, and Hungary. There was huge communist resistance to Nazi occupation within mm. Slovenia. And when the Nazis were spread too thin after they had invaded the Soviet Union, the, what are they called? The Slovenian National Liberation Front took the country back as, as well as the partisans. And the partisans are someone to remember for a couple reasons. Number one is, as far as I can tell, no like militia in all of the world was as good at killing Nazis as the partisans. Wow. I feel like I maybe read about this when I read that Antifa comic book. Well, and their leader was uh, Joseph Bros Tito, which again, I'm probably butchering a lot of it. He will mostly be referred to in colloquial conversation just as Tito. And after the war, uh, the National Liberation Front and the Partisans would join in 1943 to reestablish Yugoslavia under Tito's rule. Okay. After the war, England repatriated tens of thousands of Yugoslavian Nazi collaborators who were summarily executed without a trial, thrown into a cave, and the caves were blown up to seal the bodies inside. Oh. Yeah. Um, my understanding is that there was a lot of violent repression of political opposition under Tito's rule. Mm -hmm. However, when, and I'm not trying to make a value statement, I am just stating that when I look around to sort of see what he was like as a leader, there are a lot of Tito fans out there. Okay. Um, that I don't know enough to make a value statement one way or another. Okay. Um, now Tito and Stalin were basically friendly until 1948 when they fell out and Yugoslavia started to distance themselves politically from the Soviet Union. Mm -hmm. Tito formed his own idea of a socialist economy that he termed socialist self-management. And again, the intricacies of the differences are, are too complicated to go into here. But local autonomy movements started in Croatia and Slovenia in the 1970s. This was compounded when Tito died in 1980, 
and inflation and debt damaged the Yugoslavian economy badly in the 1980s. So in 1987, a Slovenian communist leader named Milan Kuchan supported a new national program, uh, which met resistance from the then leader of Yugoslavia, a man named Slobodan Milosevic. And uh, Milosevic would end up later dying at the Hague while serving a trial for war crimes. So we will certainly get back to him. Yes. Um, largely a lot of, I think, what he went to the Hague for happened just after Slovenia left mm. Yugoslavia. So okay. we're, we're not going to talk too much about Milosevic today. Um, but in 1989, the autonomy of Kosovo, another region within uh, Yugoslavia, was reduced by Milosevic. So the Slovenians started to get concerned that basically the same thing was going to happen to them. And the same year they published the May Declaration and that demanded a sovereign state for Slovenes. Uh, Milosevic wanted to come to Ljubljana to talk about this and was told no. So he called for a a region-wide economic boycott across the whole Balkans of Slovenia. And basically, as far as I could tell, everybody except Croatia complied. In April 1990, Slovenia became the first Yugoslav state to hold free elections, and they elected Milan Kuchan, who was leading the party that would become today's Social Democrat Party. Okay. In December 1990, they voted to become an independent state, uh, claiming it would be effective in six months. They received more resistance from Milosevic, and they prepared for war. However, it seems Yugoslavia greatly underestimated their opponent and didn't really send much of a force at all. Mm. The war lasted 10 days. It is known as the 10-Day War, and it claimed only 66 lives. Slovenia was formally recognized by the UN as the 176th member state in 1991, and they joined the EU in 2004. Uh, Kuchan served the maximum two five-year terms as uh, president of Slovenia mm-hmm. until 2001. Okay. That's so... It's so politically complex. It's... Yeah. This is a region... Th- fairly or not, has a reputation for being known for a really high-tension, like, ethnic conflicts mm. in in the region. Um, we'll get into when we talk about Kosovo and Serbia and all these other countries in the area, we'll talk about the Albanian peoples, and there's a lot of stuff that I didn't have time to get into today, and it's not because I don't want to get into it, but it's because we're just talking about Slovenia today, and we're going to get into all that other stuff. When we talk about those other countries, we are trying to get this holistic (laughs) view of everything, and we're going at it in a very scattershot way. It's interesting. It's not even (laughs) by geographic region. It's just... Random. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So uh, I've got some fun facts for us. Oh, I'm looking forward to it. What kind of fun facts do you have? Yeah. So I've got really just a couple facts and then a great list of some famous Slovenians, most of whom I had no idea were Slovenian. 
Um, so Slovenian, this is our fun facts first. Mm. Slovenian honey has a geographical distinction like champagne. Oh. Yeah. I love that. I love honey. So yeah, I'm excited to know that. <laughs> uh, they, the country has as many as 90,000 beekeepers. I saw this source or I saw this number, a number of places. None of them seemed that reliable and I couldn't track down a super reliable looking number of the num like of the amount of beekeepers in the country. But I saw this semi unreliable one listed a lot of places. Okay. And if it's true, there's only 200,000 people in this yeah, country. That's, say, that's up to half a percent of the country. It's like a whole town. Yeah. Though, <laughs> of beekeepers. Or, sorry, 2 million people. Yeah. Mm. Um, I'm dumb. Uh, it happens. It's okay. <laughs> there are over 10,000 caves in Slovenia. Oh. And there are over 27,000 kilometers of rivers and streams. Wow. Yeah. What a geography. It's, it's known for its biodiversity. Cool. Do you know about the climate at all? Um, pretty temperate, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so let's get into our list of famous Slovenians. Cool. So our first one, we've got Zeljko Ivanek, uh, and he is a fantastic character actor. You've probably seen him in a few things without having any idea who he is, or maybe you're the kind of person who like obsesses over, oh, it's that guy actors like I do. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he's really known for his work with the Irish writer-director Martin McDonough. He's actually been in every feature film that McDonough has made. So that is In Bruges, uh, Seven Psychopaths, and Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri. Oh, I've seen at least two of those. Yeah. I don't think you've seen Seven Psychopaths. No, I don't think so either. I would say it's the worst of the three, but it's still a good movie. Okay, okay. Um, our second one, this guy, this is an American of Slovenian descent, and that is Mickey DeLenz, and he was the drummer of the Monkees. Oh! Um, we've also got a Canadian of Slovenian descent, that is two-time Olympic silver medalist and three-time figure skating world champion Elvis Stoiko. Huh. I didn't know that. Yeah, me neither. Um, we have Luka Doncic, who was the third overall pick in the 2018 draft for the NBA. He plays for the Dallas Mavericks. He was the Rookie of the Year in 2019 and made the All-NBA Team 2020. We have Slavoj Žižek, who is one of the most famous philosophers in the entire world, one of the leaders of modern socialist thought. We have, this is the one that I said you, you were going to be <laughs> shocked about. So hold your booze. Okay. Melania Trump is Slovenian. Yeah. I, no I comment. saw it and I, I went, I knew that. And I had just forgotten. I feel like that should be more popular information than I feel it is. Like I should have known that. I feel. I certainly knew she was from somewhere in Central or Eastern Europe. Yeah. I guess I did too. I never really thought that much about it. I try not to think about her if I can help it. Yeah. Yeah. And then our final one, my, really my personal favorite Slovenian hockey is player? a hockey player. <laughs> uh, 
This is Andrzej Kopitar. He was mm. the first Slovenian player in the NHL. He was drafted 11th overall in 2005. That's and is pretty the, good. Yeah, is the yeah. current captain of the Los Angeles Kings, huh. uh, with whom he has won two Stanley Cups and twice has been the winner of the Frank J. Selke Trophy for the best defensive forward in the league. Wow. That's, there's so many famous people. Yeah, right? I had no idea. So... We are going to take a break now. We are going to sample our Slovenian food. And today we have made medinjaki. Now, or medinjaki, probably. It's soft J's, I think. Mm. Uh, medinjaki is a sort of honey spice cookie. So we're going to be trying them while we listen to the anthem. I think they're going to be sort of similar to a gingerbread cookie. We're going to cut them with cookie cutters. It's going to be a good time. And we will be back to talk about the anthem of Slovenia. And that is a song called Zdravlika, or A Toast. All right, so let's talk a little bit about Zdravlika, or a toast, the anthem of Slovenia, which we have just listened to. What did you think of that? Well, firstly, I thought it was very short. It is very short. I was expecting it to be longer, and I'm not sure why. Okay. Um, there's nothing that says that a national anthem has to be long. That's true. Um, I liked, I liked the versions we listened to. Yeah. I think maybe. I don't know. The rock band one was really cool. The rock band one is really fun, even if it's not really a direct version of the song. I think it's a fun direction for i think it's fun that it exists um i think but for the super annoying soloists the the actual bones of the choir arrangement like the more modern one we listen to are so good like such great harmonies they had written there i agree with you and i actually don't even mind the setup with the helicopter and everybody coming out onto that roof But uh, before we get in too deep into our criticisms, let's talk about a bit of the history of this piece. So Zdravlika is uh, actually adapted from a poem by a Slovenian poet named Franz Praserin. Now, he wrote this poem in 1844 and published it in 1848 after that February Mm, revolution, right in the middle of that whole wave of revolutions across Europe. Mm -hmm. Uh, Now, Prasarin, who wrote it, would actually pass away in 1849, which to me is really sad because he didn't get to see how important this piece became 
to Slovenia as a nation. This poem, after it became published in 1848, really became a symbol in the Slovenian region of, like, the revolutionary fervor that had seized Europe. Uh, Now, this original poem is what's called a Carmen Figuratum poem. So that means that the stanzas show a shape. Oh, that, I mean, when I said it was short, I kind of like it better knowing that that's true. Um, So each stanza in the original poem is in the shape of a wine glass. I can see, I'm, I'm looking at the lyrics here. I can see it a little bit. Yeah. That's very cool. I didn't actually know that existed and... I feel I should know that. Did you know about the poems in a shape before? Not, I mean, I think somewhere in my mind I knew that was a possibility. Yeah. For what it's worth, if you go to, like, not that I'm saying I did all my research on Wikipedia, sources will be on the blog, (laughs) but if you go to the Wikipedia page for Carmen Figuratum poem, Mm -hmm. the example it gives is that in Zdravlika, the stanzas are in the shape of a wine glass. Right. I think that's so cool too, especially because it, it depends on the, like it would vary language to language. Like you couldn't translate it and expect it to look the same. Yeah. I love that. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, a lot of arrangements were actually written for this song over the years, but one was written in 1905 by a guy named Stanko Premrel. Uh, now, Stanko was a priest who uh, was actually a really important writer of Slovene language church music in the 1900s. But he wrote this arrangement, the one that we just listened to in 1905, Mm. and that is just the seventh stanza of the poem. Okay. Okay. Uh, So the, the anthem is not the entire poem. The official, like, I think it would take forever if they made it the whole yeah. thing is why uh but the official anthem that is sung at events and and whatnot is the seventh stanza of the poems of Dravlika. that's a really interesting history and i i feel i don't oh, know we're not we're not done oh we're not done we're not done oh, i'm sorry i'll be um, quiet then and you should finish <laughs> so um just a, another fun little side note stanco premrel who wrote the Melody, his nephew, Janko Premrel, was actually a war hero in World War II. He killed a lot of Nazis, and there are actually streets named after him all across Central Europe, places, um, there was, I think, a school in Ljubljana, there is still a street there named after him, so I just think that's pretty cool. Uh, Slovenians are awesome at killing Nazis. Yep. Um, the poem ended up being republished as well during World War II as a symbol of that anti-fascist mm. sentiment. So the the sort of regional anthem of the area from 1860 through 1990 was a song, I'm not going to try to say the, the Slovenian, I'll just butcher it, uh, but the English is Forward Flag of Glory. Mm. And that is... It was unclear. I saw this written a couple places, and I'm not sure if Forward Flag of Glory was based off of the first piece of Slovenian literature translated to English, Mm -hmm. or if it itself was the first piece of Slovenian translated to English. That I couldn't find written very clearly. Okay. Um, Either way, though. In 1946, 
Uh, I just wanted to drop this in because I thought this title was fucking hysterical. Yeah. Uh, in 1946, they it was replaced in Yugoslavia by a new anthem called Hey Slavs. <laughs> Which, maybe that lands differently in the original language, but I just found it so funny. That's great. Now I'm imagining if O Canada was... Hey Canadians? Yeah. yeah. That'd be hilarious. I think I'd like it better, to be honest. <laughs> so it became, uh, Zdravlika became adapted as a regional anthem under Yugoslavia in eight, 1989 and was finally adopted as the anthem when they took independence in sort of the process from 1990 to 1991. It's mm. pretty recently. Yeah. Yeah. So that, there's my history of Zdravlika. Now we can get into it. Do you have the rating Thing around with oh, all our categories. Yes, I do. So our first category is lyrics. All right. So the lyrics to this one, I think, are really interesting. And I couldn't... Uh, well, I guess I didn't look that hard, but I didn't find a um, an English translation of the full text of Zdravlika, the original poem. Mm. But... Um, what I like about these lyrics is we have an official translation and we've also got here, uh, at least on Wikipedia, a more literal translation of the Slovenian text. And yeah, I think these are really nice. They're, they're very straightforward. Um, the lyrics themselves don't have a ton of specific references, but they are... If you've read a lot about the French Revolution and that sort of revolutionary era across Europe from sort of like 1790s through 1850s-ish, yeah. um, this is really embodying a lot of the ideals that were coming into favor across the across Europe, at least at that time. Yeah. Um, this is very much like, at least to me, John Locke sort of shortened into a thesis statement and put to music. <laughs> yeah, it's true. I agree. I really also like the the straightforwardness. That yeah. Although it's from a poem, it's not sort of overly flowery. It, these are a people who, as far as I understand, don't fuck around. Yeah. And the poetry doesn't fuck around either. And I appreciate that. But I also like... I like how much of what this anthem means is expressed in the context of yes. it, which yes. we'll get to in later ratings. But I think the fact that these lyrics are so sort of straightforward, John Locke, Enlightenment ideas, I think that it brings to mind that sort of idea of a a vibrant nation sort of always looking to better itself. Um, just something about that direct call out to almost just a laundry <laughs> list of enlightenment ideals. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to give these lyrics seven. Okay. That sounds good. I feel that maybe when I looked at them the first time, I was not as impressed, but since we've chatted about it, I'm coming around. I'm going to give it an eight. Okay. 
Our next category is music. The melody, I think, is really nice. And, I mean, maybe it's because I... My brain tries to follow lyrics, and this whole language is very hard for at least me as an English speaker to follow the syntax and I found just how well. the syllables work. My brain's always trying to latch on to something <laughs> in the words, and I find it very hard in this language, and I'm sure I will in other languages of this group as I was well. gonna say I think as we get into more Latin based and Greek based languages yeah. I think we'll have a different experience probably exactly yeah. yeah um but the melody for this one I found was always surprising me mm. um I like the the push and pull of it I like Sort of the way it, it's it got those long phrases and those short phrases. It's got a good amount of variety in such a small package. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm going to go eight for this one. Okay. Um, I feel similarly. I I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed the um, the fact that they're... The people singing it and living with this anthem feel like they can reinterpret it as we saw with the rock music version. I think that that says something about the music and about the way people view the anthem as something that can kind of be interacted with. Um, I was going to go seven. So I'm just going to trade off with you on this one. I don't know why you're looking at me like you need to clear that rating. Oh, I'm, I'm not, (laughs) I'm not, I'm just saying. I'm going to give it a seven. All right. All give right. it a seven. What's our next category? Our next category is background story. Background story. For me, this is a hard 10. Mm. This I is agree. exactly <laughs> what I've been looking for in background story. Yeah. When I was saying last week, maybe the story I'm looking for doesn't exist. This is it. Zadravlika is the ideal origin story of an anthem, <laughs> at least so far. It is a great origin story. I'm going to go Ted as well. I had a really great time learning about it. And our next category is the significance of the lyrics to the history of the country. And this is actually why I think I only gave the lyrics a seven, is because the context of the lyrics... In fact, maybe what I'm going to do, actually, Mm -hmm. what I'm going to do is actually switch my lyrics score to a six. Okay. And I am going to give the significance of the lyrics probably eight and a half. Okay. Because I think what I was saying earlier about the Enlightenment ideals, I think that works a little bit better in this category. Yes, that's that's fair. Um, I think... I agree with you. I think the lyrics are, you know, they do say something about what's important to this country and this culture. I'm going to go with nine. Yeah. And our next category is X Factor. I love this one. This, uh, I'll be honest, this is easily my favorite anthem we've encountered so far. Mm -hmm. Um... I'm going to go nine for X Factor. Okay. X Factor. <laughs> I knew what you meant. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm with you on this. I really liked this whole thing as a package with the history of the country and the history of the anthem and the lyrics of the anthem being from that 
poem that was really significant. Um, I'm going to go also with a nine for X Factor. All right. So uh, let's total that up and see what we get. Mm -hmm. All right. And the total is 84.5. It's going to be tough to beat. That is going to be a very, very hard score to beat. I... I mean, I don't know any other anthems. I was going to say, I don't know what's going to beat it, but I <laughs> I truly know like three anthems outside of the context of this podcast. Yeah, me too. Which <laughs> ones do you know, just out of curiosity? Uh, like, Oh Canada, the Star Spangled Banner, yeah. and like, Is God Saved the Queen the anthem? Yeah. Yeah, okay, that's yeah. what I've got. Yeah, those are those are the ones that I know too. Okay, you um, don't know like France or... I know you speak French. I, I don't know if you know anything I about France. I, I just France. assume you do. But I can <laughs> sing you the Canadian one in French. Good enough. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, so shall we roll for our next week's country? Yes. The giant internet dice has told me that it is 158. Okay. So your next country is San Marino. San Marino. Yep. Okay, I believe that's another island nation, but I should not get too ahead of myself or I'm going to sound like <laughs> an idiot on this podcast. Anyway, we uh, we did try these Medinyaki, which I guess are Slovenian, but also Croatian mm-hmm. uh, honey spice cookies. They are great. They, yeah, If nice. anyone is a fan of gingerbread cookies, these are like basically those yes they will make your house smell like a christmas movie yeah it's I, a good time i saw a lot of recipes that iced them we mm, didn't that sounds um, tasty but yeah i can see why that would be a thing They're, i was saying that i wanted them specifically for dipping in tea yeah kate was saying that and they would i think be really tasty dipped in tea or mm-hmm. coffee mm-hmm. uh we will uh maybe get back to you next week with the results of that experiment but more likely we'll forget to say anything about it probably But we'll have done it. Don't worry. (laughs) We will have done it. Don't question that for a second. Uh, Anyways, we will be back next week with Kate to teach us about Guyana. And no, no, we already learned about Guyana. Brunei next week. Next week with Kate to learn about Brunei. And I will come back in two weeks to tell you everything I have learned about San Marino. Thank you for listening. Have a great week.